start the show. For Thursday, November 21st, 2019, welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Gremlin sound? Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, of course. A gremlin sound. Hey, welcome to the podcast, everyone. This week, we are officially in holiday mode. We are one week away from at least stateside Thanksgiving. I think Canadian Thanksgiving may have already happened. It was a full month ago. That's right. And so we are in full, not only uh, celebrating the holiday spirit, mm -hmm. but also holiday pop culture. We have, of course, a bunch of holiday films coming out, and one of our favorite holiday films, mm -hmm. no, let's not talk about Die Hard, is mm -hmm. Gremlins, and hence, if you're watching the video, that's why. That is the reason why. Yes, it's the three of only us this. are wearing these Gremlins mm -hmm. hats. This is the most important green-based organism little, little, in our lives little right green, now. Little green creature with big ears. Yeah, These are actually from a screening of Gremlins, like sure you did, uh, along with the Alamo Draft House uh, last year as a part of uh, the Science and Cinema series. Yeah, I uh, for big screen science we did a Gremlins one. We'll do it again in a couple weeks. Mm. It'll be amazing. And of course, uh, everyone's here. Kishore's here. Jeremy's here. How are you guys doing? Hi. Uh, as part of that big screen science series, you had quite a screening this past week. Let's get right to it. Uh, so. Friend of the show, Gary Witta, mm -hmm. previous co-host of this podcast, um, uh, contacted his friend, John Beschel, who wrote this small film in the 80s called The Last Starfighter. Mm. And we screened it and had a conversation with them afterwards. First of all, that movie holds up. I was shocked. Mm -hmm. by... I, I showed it to my son a couple of years ago and thought the same. You're also bearing the lead that this was projected in 35 mil. Yeah, they had, uh, I think it was eight reels of film wow. in there. Like Gary and John actually went into the projection booth and got to see them uh, messing what, around with the film. Was it an original reel? I don't think it was an original reel, I mean, but they got it from one of the distributors that so it looks, maintained it. So it looks reels. good? I mean, it looks like, you know, anytime you put film up on a big screen, you see all the, yeah. the defects in film, but it looked good, yes. Wow. Uh, and so I hadn't seen it in the theater since I was maybe what, like eight? I don't even remember seeing it in the theater. I mean, I wore out the VHS tape, so that's what I remember. That's exactly what Gary said. He said he wore out the VHS tape huh. of that of that movie. Uh, beyond the fact that it was a delightful movie to watch, full of heart, like doesn't have like weird 80s moments. I mean, it has a few, but it doesn't have any that are like cringeworthy. Um, just hearing John and Gary talk about it, and John actually told the story of Gary watching it and calling him. And so Gary uh, called him on the phone one day to talk about, uh, you know, essentially rebooting or creating a sequel. And Gary told him the story about being a 12-year-old and watching this movie and seeing to the end credits. And it in one of the last lines of the credits, it mentions the last Starfighter, uh, courtesy Atari and they're talking about the the machine 
And Gary wandered around all of London to every arcade he could find to, to find the last Starfighter game so he could play it. And save the universe. And Gary's dad was in the audience. Nice. And verified the story? And verified the story. That's awesome. Uh, and so it, it was just really delightful and seeing how much love they had for this film and all these people showed up uh, talking about sort of personal experiences they had with it. And they talked about the process of, of trying to go through and, and getting a sequel made for it. And I mean, that was the reason Gary was there. It wasn't just because he's a big time film nerd and uh, he loved this film. It's because he is there actively looking for ways to get a sequel made and the right with, you know, negotiating through the rights they had, I think they, which they have, it's about the financing. Yeah. I mean, it's a, he, they said it's complicated. A lot of the rights have reverted back to John, which they actually said like in weird, just the way Hollywood deals are, are, are made that actually makes things harder. Right. Uh, but what they did say, and, and this isn't breaking any news because they said it in public, uh, they actually have most of the story kind of mapped out. Oh, what they would awesome. want to do it's just making getting through all the machinations of of um, getting it made, and so whether it gets made or not, hearing that uh, these two have kind of mapped out with, like a, a story continuing for all these people that actually like warmed my heart enough. They shared Gary shared concept art months ago mm-hmm. on Twitter, and that warmed my heart. I mean, yeah. it looks good. It was the artist from Rogue One that uh, mm. did some concept art for for a sequel, and just seeing the gun stars uh, out again. Yes. I mean, this is how Beautiful. movies get made. Like, creative people have to create create pitches, and they commission the art themselves. It's not like some studio executive is saying, you know, find me a concept artist, and, and let's talk about Last Starfighter. They are actively working with artists to make bring this art and also use that in their pitch mm-hmm. to try to get this movie made. And, and good luck good luck to him, it's former also, member of this parish. It's also a 35-year-old movie, and there's a full theater on a Saturday morning wow. to watch it. And, you know, I'm sure some people were there because they wanted to hear the Q&A, but almost everyone was there just because they wanted to see the movie. There aren't enough movies where gamers save the world. You know, that that is <laughs> what I love. One of have, the things I love. Have you not seen the movie Pixels? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'll technically just, war games. Exactly. So right. you got War Games, you've got The Last Starfighter, Ready Player One, obviously, Tron, but how many others? There need Did to Tron be more. Did Tron save the world or just that world? Well, you're right. It was just a corporation. Like, he just won the corporation back. Have you not seen Surf Ninjas? What? Oh, see. <laughs> yeah. Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah. They use the Game Gear and they play the game. <laughs> it okay. was a thing. There was a whole generation of yeah, the 90s movies. It's on my list. Yeah, there you go. Um, also on your list, what you've been playing through, speaking of video games, Jeremy, it's a lot of Star Wars out in the world right now. Of course, <laughs> Rise of Skywalker coming out in just about a month's time. Well, one month from today, That's my friend. right. Oh, my gosh. We are recording this on Wednesday. And... Uh, but we have a, a almost an embarrassment of Star Wars in in pop culture right now. Not yes. only is there The Mandalorian on Disney Plus and on VR, there's Vader uh, Immortal mm-hmm. Episode Three, also out probably the day today. Uh, but also recently out, Jedi Fallen Order, big deal from Respawn. From Respawn, I published by EA mm-hmm. and available on Steam, I mm, might add. That's right, because they are, they worked out a partnership between Origin and Steam. They're back. So this is the first, yeah, this is the first Jedi game in quite a while where mm-hmm. you, you actually wield a lightsaber like from the beginning. And Where it, is it set in the timeline? It's between three and four. It's mm. after Order 66. Yes. And it's, 
you know, it's like a stunningly beautiful game. Like that, I don't say that lightly because so many games are now, but this is one of those b- games where the visuals just don't give up. As you, I've been playing it for 20 hours. Wow. According to my Steam log, <sighs> which is a real commitment. Most of that is actually one day when they, I had a free day mm-hmm. and I just said, I'm, I'm going to do this. And it just, like, I never got tired of just looking around. It's stunning. But the gameplay is, I mean, I, I'm kind of, I'm not 100% on it. Like, the, the combat, I'm more of a Batman, Prince of Persia kind of combat gamer. I like the feeling of being invulnerable and, like, doing button mashing. And Insomniac, Spider-Man, butt. you're bouncing from character exactly. to character. Exactly. Um, this, uh, I, I have not read any reviews of it to avoid spoilers, but I understand that... Um, it's like Dark Souls. This takes its cues from Dark Souls, exactly. It's a challenging game. Which I never played because mm-hmm. everybody said it's so hard. It's right. it's like borders on, you know, pain. Actually, and is that like the case? Finishing the game. It's, you get beat up a lot. And the problem isn't so much that it's hard. It's that there are these save points, which are can be kind of far apart. Mm. And I switched over to what they call story mode about halfway through, ah, and I have no regrets. Simpleton mode. I have no regrets because I still get to do all the moves. Yep. I'm still super Jedi, yep. and I get to win all the battles, like the first time through, and I still have to do all the traversal. Like That's another thing that kind of bugs me as someone who has limited time <laughs> is they're very, very proud of these environments, and yeah. so you do have to walk across them even after... The level's over. I mean, or, that's or the whole were, thing. With you return to a planet. With Titanfall. It's about traversal systems. Yeah. And, and, and wall running. And it's and, fine. There's a map system. I don't remember the last time I played a game with a map system. But, like, I'm pulling up the map to review how what's the shortest path from A to B. There's, oh, you mean, like, not an RPG, though? Right. An action game. Yes. You. It's like a hollow map that your yeah. droid has for you. Yeah. And by BB-1, it's like an awesome little droid. I can't wait to 3D print him as soon as someone puts mm. one on Thingiverse. But... It's an amazing looking game. The character development and the animations are some of the best I've ever seen. And it's good. And it's it's it, just a time commitment and a little hard. Is the story any good? That's been my complaint about previous editions. <clears throat> if I had to guess, I would say yes. But I am so oblivious to story in games like this that I really... There are these spires and there are planets I'm going to and I have to get this like fidget spinner from the third spire and it contains important information and there's bad guys and I, I'm just playing the game man. I mean I, right. I'm a quick player this is the thing I, it's from what a lot of people have said this is the best playing a Jedi game since Jedi Knight 2 Dark Forces 3 can you think of a Jedi game since then uh, well, there was Jedi Academy, which is well regarded as having the best lightsaber combat. I never played game. that. You never played Jedi Academy? No. You got to turn on the uh, the command line feature to allow decapitation, which there isn't in this game, hmm. right? And uh, all I think about when I see this game is I want it in VR. Yeah. Well, that was as soon as I got in the first environment. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. I kind of got over that, and I'm enjoying the game. But man, and I'm, good. obviously when we say that kind of thing. Most people who are familiar with VR should say, no, you need to design the game from the ground up in sure, VR, yes. and that is what I mean. Like, right, I right. wish that this game was designed for VR. If they put hundreds of millions into yeah. making a AAA full-length Jedi game yes. for VR, they're not Valve Software. They can't commit to that. They need to make. They need to sell some copies. Well, Respawn has been hired by Oculus to make, wow. to make, to make a game. To make Medal of Honor. Yeah. 
not make a Star Wars game. Different place. Different franchise, yeah. maybe a little safer. Yeah. It's funny because this brings back fond memories of Jedi Knight series, Jedi Knight 2, of course, being the, the big high point, I think. Um, I'm a whereas, Dark Forces 1 guy, personally. Which is, and I wanted to bring that back because watching The Mandalorian makes me want more of a Dark Forces-like yeah. show. And it has a little bit of a Dark Forces vibe in that there are no, I'm sorry for spoilers, no lightsabers, at least at this point. Like I like the Star Wars universe with net, without the lightsabers. Yeah. One of the things I liked about Solo, uh, I liked about Rogue One, mm. um, you know, which had the Vader scene, but so much of it without lightsabers, it feels cool. It's like you know, it's the, the crime world, and I think um, you know, the gritty kind of you know uh, lived in universe mm-hmm. that George Lucas built. Um, so you've been spending a lot of time on that. I did not play Jedi Order this weekend. Instead, I went to a convention. I went to BuildCon which is a Gunpla and Mecca model-making convention. It's a very small convention, first year uh, that they ran it in uh, San Francisco, run by a retailer, New Type HQ, and it was just at the Westfield Mall. So we did some filming at the studio here and then just took a, took a BART ride over to, to downtown and got to chat with some, some makers. And, uh, to, so to there were custom models uh, so up, some building, yeah. So a lot of there's open competition. People could just bring whatever they had made. So a lot of it were people who had just taken kits and assembled them and done amazing finishes on them. So it's paint application, decal application. That itself is a big part of it. Some people made little dioramas from you know scenes using HO scale train models sets to like, like to showing you know fight scenes and ruins. Some guy even um, took plate steel and cut like this. You know, a ruin of a, a skyscraper with with rebar and like real real metal and that was really cool uh one one um uh one builder she 3d modeled and printed and finished her model from scratch because as a day job she's a, a 3d modeler for the video game war uh, warframe and so a lot of that inspired um design but it was just fun to chat with people and talk about their different build techniques and kind of celebrate that snap fit world. Is that a video you guys are making? Uh, there are three videos out, or uh, three videos we shot there. One's already out, and the other two will be out later this week. There you go. Yeah, so go check that out. And if you're in the Bay Area, <coughs> hopefully they'll do another one next year. BuildCon. Very fun. Um, so that's what we did over the weekend. So let's get to. Story this week. What could it be? Hats we, are coming off. Hats are coming off. Okay. We can finally say this unironically. Oh. Well, we had a lot no, of options no, for no, top no, story. No. What are There's you only talking about? Option. This is the definition of that meme coming to life. <laughs> it is Half-Life 3. No, it's not. Don't say that. That it is not Half-Life 3. It is not Half-Life 3. Whoa, oh, okay. 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 So you all probably know, the world knows now that on Monday. This is so sad that we are doing this the day before the announcement. I know. I know. <laughs> we literally timing. talked about moving the podcast so we could do it. And we it. couldn't because of schedules. But it's going to be fun speculation. And hopefully, you know, the, the what is it, 9 a.m. or 10 a.m.? Yeah. 10 a.m. Pacific. Mm-hmm. They're, they're putting the trailer out. But Val, at Valve Software, first, like, a, a new Twitter account. Is the it? First tweet. I yeah. Realize that. People had the, like... Wonder if it was a fake, yeah. a fake tweet. Is it verified? It is verified. Wow. It was launched as verified, followed by Steam with nine million followers, and tweeted out that their new game. I'm not going to go verbatim, but they're they're announcing this Thursday. 
unveiling. So presumably with a trailer is is our expectation at at uh, 10 a.m. Pacific. Uh, their newest game, flagship, their flagship VR, VR game, game yeah. Half Life, Alex. Alex, I don't see the the number three in there anywhere, Mister Hari. You got to be close enough. Be That's careful. fan art, though. The what you've brought up is one hundred percent fan art because that Alex that you brought up is wearing a Rift S, yeah. <laughs> not wearing an index. <laughs> I so don't not care. So, I think the reason they made this announcement, I don't think my gut is that they did not plan to tweet this out. On Monday, what really? That they planned on dropping this, and I, we know no information. Let's be clear: this is not us playing coy. We don't know. We did not know this was going to happen. Yeah, we haven't seen any of it. There's Although there no, were rumors that we had read, that we had read. Yeah, PC Gamer posted an article like on well, what I'm saying the yeah, Friday before, and I think PC Gamer posted a very widely spread article about the rumor that the game would be Half Life Alex. That according to their rumor, it was. Um, it was uh, the trailer would be out and then it would the game would come out early next year again mm-hmm. as of now completely unverified but that was based off of basically like Reddit threads and people who may or may not be in the know <laughs> posting on the shared Google document like a lot of things there's almost like a, a ramp of an escalation of buzz around the idea that you know, yeah. something may be happening this week to a point where Valve could not ignore it and they had to make a statement you know confirming it with this tweet. Oh, so you think they always um, a, a plan to put something up on Thursday. And, and it's just a surprise. Interesting. And, and someone jumped the gun. All right, maybe. And PC Gamer latched on that story, got it widespread. I don't know. And Why would they have to do that? For the clicks. But no, why would they have to do this? What, because, For, because I think there are too, there are too much there's too much that was potentially maybe more going to be leaked. They want to control the story. Maybe. Jeremy, I, how many logos do you see up on that announcement? Yeah, no, you got you, it. You see three of them? <laughs> yeah. I see a Lambda. Cool. Um, the, cool. It was also the same day as the Oculus Link beta release. Valve don't care. I'm just saying. Valve don't care. That was that. interesting. That's not a flex. Fine. I don't think, I don't think that's a... I don't uh, think Oculus Link beta was not real news for anyone in the gaming world. This is real news for everyone in the gaming world. So don't you think that undermines the Oculus Link beta announcement? Uh, I mean, Oculus Link beta is awesome. We're going to get to that in the VR minute. And I think it's important for people who have Quest now, but I don't think it was going to be a purchasing decision. It wasn't like, right. oh, suddenly because Link beta is out, people are going to flood and go buy Quest. Yeah. And now they're holding off and going to buy the index. Oh, you're saying maybe there's a correlation like, I don't, in terms of like buying because they could play potentially this game on a Quest now that Link is out. I think that's what you're... I didn't. Out. I actually didn't mean to apply that. I oh, just meant okay. to imply just that there was a news cycle. There was Facebook's news, and then Valve came in. I don't with think their they're news. related at all. Fine. I think it's pure coincidence and timing. I think Valve was more. My assumption is that they put this tweet out because there was the escalation in the rumors, and it got to a point where they could, they needed to say something. Okay. Regardless, then, <laughs> it's a Half Life game in VR. It is oh, Half Life VR. This that's is good the flagship VR Let's, game, right? Yeah. So. This is the thing we've been waiting for. This is one of three flagship VR games. That, that I think Gabe had yeah. talked about. And yeah. this is the one that when I went up to preview the index earlier this year, they had said would be out by end of year. Oh, interesting. Because they're going to, they're they, back then they said index coming out and we're not going to talk about the game, but we have a flagship VR game mm-hmm. that we will be announcing and releasing at end of year. Whether it actually will be released, because yeah. we are a month and a half. Less than a month and a half away now from the end of this year, TBD. So what's worth discussing here? Because by the time our podcast is out, 
Uh, we're going to be hours away from the actual it's still, preview. It's still fun. This is still fun okay. to discuss. What What do you hope this game is? Well, I know I, my my thinking is that it's not going to be Episode Three, Half Life Three, Half Life Two, right. Episode Three. Okay, because there was Half Life Two with Orange Box. Half Life Two, Episode Two was the last single player Half Life that Valve had put out, and Eric Walpaul, you know, the, the writers are already they've they've left the project. Right? There was a whole. Didn't Walpaul go back? Did I imagine that? I, I don't remember. Okay. But there was a whole blog post with that had been put out that kind of burned the bridge for that story, right? That if you replace the names, it, it was the basically the story outline for what would have happened in episode three. Yeah. And so in my mind, that's almost like a George R. R. Martin thing, right? If Valve had then, without the original writers, put something out in VR as a single-player game that was episode three, but that wasn't that story because they had to diverge from it. It'd all, almost be like the difference between George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones books and what Benioff and Weiss did with the, the TV show. Like There would be like a divergence of canon for fans. Walpole did return in oh, January did. of this year. Okay. I still don't think this is a continuation of that story because episode three was going to be Gordon um, going to, what was it, the Arctic, the Antarctic? And uh, the, the ship, right? Yep. The, and, um, and and exploring the mysteries there. And this is not about Gordon Freeman. This is about yep. Alex. Alex. Who, uh, presumably, this is not a prequel. This is going to be con- in that timeline where, spoilers for Half-Life 2, Episode 2, her dad had died mm-hmm. at the end of it. Um, but I can expect head crabs. I expect it'll be the same antagonist. I expect they're going to do some weird spatial stuff with... The G-Man. Some have supposed that this will take place before Half-Life Episode uh, 1. Half-Life 2 Episode 1? Yeah. So, but there there was Dog, right? Remember? Yeah, the, dude. The AI character? Mm-hmm. And that was Alex and Dog? Yeah. I, I want to see Dog in VR. This, this, the, right? That could I, be really cool. You're just going to end up playing Fetch in VR. <laughs> yeah. Oh, That's my God. That's going to be the whole point. Why not? Why they, not? they refined it with the lab. Yeah. Um, so, there will be doors. <laughs> here's, here's what I, my hope is that it's about some sort of VR mechanic slash mechanics, plural, mm-hmm. that necessitate VR. And that... Oh, I, undoubtedly. I don't really care what the story is, when it takes place, who it stars. Uh, I just want gameplay mechanics that I haven't experienced in VR yet, but that could, oh, wow. that could potentially be system sellers for a VR headset. I mean, I think the name itself is going to be a system seller. And a lot of people are up in arms because... Well, that's the problem. Well, the gaming community... What is the potential market? The potential market for this is much smaller than if they made a flat-screen console or PC game, PC or console game. But they can do whatever they want. It's their IP. I do hope it's not a diversion. If it's not like this is just Half-Life Alex as a side story to the... I would be more than happy if this was Half-Life 3. If he's called it Half-Life 3. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's, a, if it's not Half-Life. I just want Valve-sanctioned VR mechanics. You know what I'm saying? But the mechanics don't mean anything unless people are interested in the story and the characters. And That's not true. And I, no, Because then Half-Life wouldn't have been as successful as it is. Right, but in terms of getting people to pick up and try it in place. A lot of people it, may dismiss it because they don't... Th- if it wasn't Half-Life, if they created a completely new IP and it had those mechanics... People, traditional gamers would not be picking up VR to try it. I, I suppose they, they want people to pick up VR to try this. I suppose you're right. I think that Asgard's Wrath is one, of, as an example of a huge AAA game that was released for VR exclusively as a, also a f- new IP mm-hmm. 
got dismissed by the larging by the larger gaming press right. in general. Even though it is uh, for a lot of people, yeah. it's it's up there as one of the best games of the year, regardless of platform. Exactly. Yeah, you might have a point that this day and age, you do need IP, you know, relationships or uh, you know familiarity. As, as Disney would know. Yeah, exactly. In order to find that kind of success. And I don't want the community, the gaming community at large, to dismiss this as just a side quest for, for, for the Half Life franchise. How big do you think it, it is? Do you expect it to be as long a game as uh, Half Life Two? No, that's no. that was. I would be disappointed if it's. Hours. I would be disappointed if it was uh, less than ten hours. Yeah, ten hours is a good marker. That I mean, that's a that's a solid game. I think. I, I mean, we've uh, and length is. It depends on what type of game they're making, right? We played Stormland, and we got through yeah. the crux of the single player in less than 10 hours. And mm-hmm. yes, there's a lot of opportunity to play more, but I don't think there's a Stormland-type game. I do. I hope it's going to be more like an Asgard's Wrath. Single-player campaign. And they've done so well in demonstrating performance capture, voice acting, interaction models between environments and AI. I'm more curious about when they started working on this because the VR landscape has changed. Yeah. And they've, you know, what, what gamers find acceptable in VR, number one, teleportation versus free locomotion has changed. I would hate for this to be a teleportation centric design. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a, for example, budget cuts suffered for that because while it has a really novel mechanic with its portals, essentially, by the time it got released, people were so comfortable with free locomotion mm. that their form of their restrictive form of locomotion made it less interesting mm-hmm. when can you imagine or not imagine can you remember another game in pc gaming histories that required a peripheral as expensive as a vr headset that was as high profile as half-life i think expensive i think that's a wrong way to think about it because we're not yes the index is expensive right you can spend what, is it 800 or 1000 dollars now on, on the on the index for the full yeah. you know quality experience but even this if you is go windows Steam. even if you go to windows it's you can get a windows mixed reality headset for 200 bucks fine 250 bucks fine that is a lot of money and i'm wondering is there another game that has absolutely not just benefited from but required I mean, a peripheral that costs 200 dollars it's not just a peripheral it's, it's, it's you're a, calling, the system I'm yeah not, you're calling a vr headset a peripheral it's a system. when it's the console okay fine Whatever you want to call it, the display device. I mean, obviously, we haven't required a new monitor, a special monitor, in order to play any other game in PC's history. Yeah, but you have existing PC systems, so it's not like buying an Xbox. You you still need to have the PC. I guess a graphics card might be an analog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crisis. There you go. But those kind of scale... Crisis and DX10, DX, you know, needed an 8800, right? Uh, GeForce back then for, for DX10. Those are well over five hundred. That's true, bucks. but then every I. Uh, that's interesting. That's interesting because every other game does benefit from that, and every, and then you open yourself to a whole world of VR gaming. And that's yep. the point. Yeah, that's the point. Also interesting. So, is so it, I want to build on that though. So let's say this is a successful game. Valve has a track record. Mm-hmm. Everything else, people go out buy a, a headsets that haven't had them before. It's an awesome game. Mm-hmm. What then? Like, is there enough in the ecosystem? to keep people feeling like they got value out of that whole purchase. 100%. Yeah, this obviously. entire back catalog of stuff. Pretty good they, acquire they, here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I actually think they need to get the release schedule 
like on a regular cadence to meet the demand because there aren't many AAA VR games. But they're not. Valve, I mean, and, and Valve doesn't do that. Might, yeah, that I know <laughs> Valve doesn't play that game. <laughs> they're not. So, they're not Oculus. Because right? I think that's the pro. I think that's going to be the the real issue. Is like people go through a ten hour experience, have an awesome time, and then want another ten hour experience, and it's really not there. Yeah. Well, you just download Revive and then go play Stormland or Asgard's Wrath. Right. And they have promised, Valve has said, they're working on two other titles. Yeah. We just don't know anything about release timeframes. But it is, Kishore's point is valid in that the approach between Oculus and, and their platform and how they're getting people interested in VR, core gamers into VR, is very different than Valve's. Oculus is more than happy to spend money, seeding money in the development community to have Respawn, a well-known developer, make a Medal of Honor, a well-known game franchise game exclusive to VR and make new IP games like Stormland with well-known developers like Insomniac and make it, mm-hmm. you know, Senzaru, a not well-known developer, make you know, one of the best VR games out there right now, while Valve is more than happy to seed developers with hardware and access and education information and trust that they're going to do it. But in the real world, you know, chatting with developers it's still expensive to make games and the market hasn't proven itself. So maybe the best thing that Valve can do right now is create a market by encouraging people to buy headsets, whether it's the Index or other headsets, load up Steam VR. Make a and, killer app. And make a, and, and make a killer app and then you know, hopefully double the size of the player base. Yeah. Did you know, by the way, on the subject of Half-Life and VR that you can play Half-Life in VR right now on the Quest? Did on you know that? Quest. Yeah. You didn't is this know this side quest? Yeah, this mm. is the Lambda project. Mm. Uh, y- and if you it's uh, you put your quest, you know, in your computer, plug it in, and then you load up side quest. You sideload uh, the Lambda executable or whatever the, the project is, and then you copy over the game files from Half Life. Could you buy it on Steam? You just copy over the files, play the whole game in VR, and it plays great. Like the entire first person, you know, campaign. Uh, people played it beginning to end, saying it feels like a made-for-VR game, and it, it's fantastic. Oh, you should try it. I played I play the first couple hours. I mean, Half-Life 2 would be perfect with the physics puzzle. That's a lot. Like the gravity yeah. gun. People are saying that that's not going to happen. But you can play Blue Shift mm. and the original Half-Life. So what is that mechanic that you want to see in Half-Life Alex? That's the that point. It's like VR. saying, well, this, like, that's like saying, what do you want from the next Mario game? Like, I don't know. Miyamoto's got the answer to that. I have no idea. Like, this is up to, I, to Valve to come up with. I don't think it's going to be something shocking. I think it's going to be something familiar, but the execution will be polished as hell. Yeah. That's my feeling. It's like Half-Life 2 wasn't the first physics game ever. It was the first one to do it really well and mm-hmm. combine it with a story people cared about mm-hmm. and make it a fun part of the gameplay. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's going to be a derivative on that. It's going to be physics with hand controllers. It's going to be force powers, essentially. I, I think world. you're basing that off of you know what you know of Valve's old games. And well, I'm also basing it off of the controllers. Like they're going to design something that's going to work best on Index mm-hmm. with CapSense, with finger tracking, yeah, right, and and and, and, and the pressure sensors yeah. on on the controllers. But it also can't not work just as fine with other Oculus Touch yep. with Windows Mixed Reality headsets as well. Yeah, so. Like they can't make a game that's going to be that requires a subset of a subset. We'll of see. Users. We will see, and I look forward to seeing on Thursday. All right. So predictions: ten plus hours, singles <laughs> player, co-op. What do you think? Co-op, social being a big part of VR. Oh, that's a good question. I would I would guess not because they yeah. haven't done that before. But who knows? Yeah, I I would want co-op. I think that would be just killer. That mm-hmm. would. That would put this over the top. 
and then 10 hours. I'm, I'm glad it's Half-Life. I'm excited for it. Part of me hopes that the next thing is Left 4 Dead. Because Left 4 Dead, it seems like such a no-brainer for co-op VR. I mean, the zombie, the zombie yeah. killing co-op multiplayer shooter in VR has, is a killer app right now. You know, the Onward just was updated, or not Onward, um, uh, Pavlov was just updated with zombie mode built in, and it's hugely popular. And for Val- if Valve was able to do one and with the, the Game Master, essentially, the DM mode where you're controlling the zombies, that's, Left 4 Dead is so ripe for that. Maybe that would have been a no bra- too much of a no-brainer, but I, I'm hoping, crossing fingers, that that's something they're still working on. God, and all the locomotion you could do as, as the infected, right? Imagine do, pouncing as the hunter or, you know, grabbing with a, playing as a heavy all the scale shifting stuff it's just it just to me feels like a no-brainer for yeah me. locomotion to me is everything in vr games and and that's what i look forward to seeing from this half-life alex game especially given the cap sense of the uh of the knuckles controllers look I, I i feel like we need to get the physics right and what physics the physics of throwing uh, manipulating objects okay right. sure but i want to be able to climb things i, I like that a lot I, zero g works really well though i don't know how you do that in the half-life universe mm so much fetch so much. with the dog yeah. that's all that matters yeah <laughs> well a couple hours from now we'll all be watching the trailer and very being very excited about it but uh until then we can just speculate All right, from video games to TV and movies, uh, Star Trek. This could have been a top story this week if it wasn't for the Half-Life Alex announcement. But the Star Trek sequel is moving forward. The Abrams-verse, the Kelvin-verse lives. So while there had been stories of Quentin Tarantino working on a Star Trek film with a story that he wasn't necessarily going to write but potentially direct, uh, that apparently is still... in. Happening, he's Paramount. producing though. He's pro- yeah, uh, he's producing this one. Oh wait, no, 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 no. That's not, no. no. He's producing Tarantino's that producing yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah. He's he he came with the story. And that's going to happen. That and that was going to be in the Kelvin verse as well. Uh, the fear that a uh, Star Trek four, which they had previously announced, was going to be. I mean, before even Beyond came out, there was there was going to be a re- uh, reuniting of Kirk and his father, Chris the Chris's, Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth. That fell apart with through negotiations. Well. They're going to move forward with another story. Chris Hemsworth may not be involved at this point. Chris Mine's coming back, and it is going to be written and directed by Noah Halley. Which I'm super exci- excited about. Uh, Noah is has been the showrunner for this show, Fargo. Um, fantastic show. Fantastic show. Really incredibly written. And a personal favorite of mine, uh, A Legion, which has just been a sublimely weird show mm. uh, in its three-season run, four-season run. Um, it just concluded. Uh, so his writing is excellent. He made his directorial debut this summer with a movie called Lucy in the Sky, and I'm trying to be quiet about it because it was awful. Did you see it? Yeah. Oh, I, uh, that's Natalie Portman inspired by real events um, of... Uh, and no, isn't astronaut it going um, kind of crazy? Yeah, yeah. Natalie Portman and um, John Hamm. Yeah, yeah. you uh, can tell by the fake NASA logos that it was not sanctioned by NASA. Yeah, but I'm really excited about this because he writes really intensely personal, uh, well articulated content. Whether he can condense that into a movie 
waits to be seen. Uh, but having Pine back on board means, like, I think this is going to be a very Kirk-centric film. The other disappointing thing is that uh, previously Paramount had announced that S.J. Clarkson, the director, was going to be uh, directing the next Star Trek film. And that would have been the first uh, female director of a Star Trek film. And it sounds like that that's no longer. I think she going exited when the whole Chris's exited. And she's a, a director of a new Game of Thrones prequel. Oh. Oh, and okay. so, like, they. I don't think it was an option to bring her back. Mm, you it. guys were. Flipping out about this news on Slack. Is yeah. this? No, we're kind of joking. And I hear but... you just. Oh, okay. That was it? Okay. I thought you were really, really excited. I'm really well, excited, I'm excited about that, Noah Hall. Hall. That, that, yeah. that, that, that multiple Star Trek films are happening. Okay. And that Star Trek is flourishing because there's Star Trek. And because of the Paramount CBS, all, all of Star Trek is under one roof now. You have Discovery, you got Picard, which may be more than one season, and you got movies. Like, this is a good time to be a Star Trek fan. Yeah. No, that's why I'm excited. I'm really excited about Noah Hawley coming into the universe because you've heard me all, like both rage, uh, just rave about and rage about Legion for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I I couldn't be more excited. I think he has. It's going to be hard to condense his writing style into a movie, but I'm more than willing to see him take the risk. Do you predict we will have these kind of Fast and Furious action packed Star Trek? Films? No, no. Or this it, is not too fat, too Trek, too furious. Okay, style. This is going to be much more personal, cerebral. much more cerebral. I Ooh, think. maybe right. like a like a real isolated space movie. I mean, it's the themes that they've touched on um, in Star Trek Beyond, the psychological effects of being on a five year mission, make it crazy. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's a lot of Fargo, and that's a lot of Legion. Speaking of Star Trek, this is interesting. On the TV side, CBS announced the Star Trek internship program starting next year in partnership with the Television Academy. Foundation. Uh, this goes back to the roots of Star Trek and um, the, the core values and it being open to kind of developing new creative talents. But this is an open program that people who are in undergrad or grad uh, schools can apply to. And they basically get a chance. They're going to pick how many? Two, two people every year? To, um, yeah, two interns per semester. They'll work on a Star Trek series starting next summer. And they'll get to be a part of every part of the production process from, you know, writing, wardrobe design, on-set production, animation, post-production, and basically cut their teeth What in Star Trek. How do you apply? You have to be in school. Yeah, but, but how do you apply once you're so, in school? So you're Televisionacademy.com slash internships. So you're telling me we can re-enroll in school yeah. and apply. Enlist Done. in Starfleet. It's literally called the Star Trek Command Training Program. I want to be part of this. Red Squad, let's get it together, Red oh, Squad. We're... Don't, don't, don't Wesley Crusher it. Don't put don't Tom Paris it and put too much uh, antimatter in the ships. Yeah. What, what was the, the line from, um, from uh, what's his name, from Pike in Star Trek 2009, 10 years ago now? I dare you to be, to be better and listen to Starfleet. Yeah, I want to go back to school just for this. It's a few years too late for us. Do graduate students today even care about star trek they yes but why because they watched tweet uh, at him not us because <laughs> they watched it on netflix because they certainly didn't grow up with it the way that we did first oh, of all that's a very limited uh view of the age range for graduate students uh, okay. not fair I, I think you're way off base about the popularity of star trek continuing yeah yeah 
uh, a friend of mine, Aaron McDonald, who's uh, not that far out of grad school, uh, just came out with an Audible book on the science of of the Star Trek, and like there is rampant popularity across the board okay. for Star Trek. Good to know. And there's also rampant popularity for comic book characters as well. On TV, we're leading up to the five episode maxi crossover event, Crisis on Infinite Pla- Infinite Earths, and we have the first photos of. Kevin Conroy as Kingdom Come Batman. Now, it looks like Kevin Conroy. <laughs> no surprise there. It looks exactly like Kevin Conroy. He has Conroy. a little bit of that shoulder armor we saw in uh, the Alex Ross King, uh, uh, Kingdom Come uh, Batman. But, you know, it's, it's going to be about, all about the voice. He doesn't have the same stature as the, the kind of Batman that was drawn in the comics. But excited for nonetheless. Also very excited for... The Brandon Routh return as as Kingdom Come Superman. I have a couple photos of that. He looks really good as Superman. He does. He yeah. always did. Yeah, but I think this this new suit that they've made for the for this series, uh, this crossover, uh, looks really good. They've, they've added some white to his hair. Um, but I'm excited for it. It's going to be at least three different Superman uh, because not only do you have the the uh, Supergirl Superman, uh, you also have. The Brandon Routh Superman and Tom Welling. There's a photo of Tom Welling also as Superman, uh, as Clark By Kent. a barn, too. I mean, that's very appropriate. That's right. For, for Smallville. Yeah. Do people really care about Superman? Yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> now Jim is just trolling. I fell walk right into it. Uh, How about Star Wars? People care about Star Wars? Heck yeah. Rise of Skywalker. Well, uh, the movie's out in exactly a month. It's also hitting the covers of magazines. Entertainment Weekly did a three different uh, cover um, uh, edition of their latest issue. I like those covers. Yeah, and with new interior set, uh, with new set photos, too. And yeah, there's some set photos. It's, it's vibrant. I'm not going to put them up on the screen to, to, For, to spoil anything. Am I, am I alone that of the three covers? Like the original trilogy speaks the most to me. Are you guys on the same page about that? Or They're all composites. Not, yeah, I think yeah. they all look like Photoshop jobs. Yeah, but still. I, I think the recent uh, trilogy looks good too. Yeah. I mean, okay. that, that's all you're, all you're saying is that the prequel the prequels look, look terrible. And so yeah. It's not, not surprising. We've got new, some new costuming. I like um, uh, Finn's new costume. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, lot of uh, just saturated, nice colors in this, and which, which is something we did see in the trailers. I think the the, the cinematography is going to be really nice, and and it was in contrast. You think the cinematography is going to be nice in the new Star Wars movie? It's going to yeah. be lush. I'm with you. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a lush aspect to it. Yeah. In, in the, the like the forest world, and it's going to contrast with some of the bleakness. Oh yeah. When they face the antagonists. JJ says that their ambitions are even higher for this movie. I mean, than of course they, they would. Than they have been. I mean, so You know what's cooler than a billion dollars, Jeremy? <laughs> what? Two billion. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to make a trillion dollars. It, are we talking box office? What do you think this movie's going to make? Oh, I'm no good at that game. You mean domestic or total? Just total. I think it'll be in like the 1.6, 1.7. That, that, would, that would put it in... Close to highest of all time. I think. It's I think it's like over two, right? Well, what was the Force Awakens? Oh, good question. Do you think it'll beat the Force Awakens? I do. First of all, ticket prices have gone up. Second of all, I think it's going to be a better movie. 
Force Awakens did exactly 2.06 billion. The only thing so, is, like, I think it, it'll be short of it. The Force Awakens was a big deal because it was a long time since Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be 1.9, 1.8 billion globally. So I don't think it's going to hit Endgame level. But Star Wars movies are special, as as Bob Iger says. Gonna be uh, Last more... Jedi only hit 1.3. Yeah, so it'll, it'll be higher than that for sure. I'm surprised they split Chewie and Han up on this Entertainment Weekly. On the Photoshop? Stuff. Yeah. Just compositing. You know, it's just, it's just about... Well, it's like designing a movie poster. They got, their, they got their canvas. It's all good, man. Don't you feel show the logo. in the poster, Chewie not being next to Han says something about what happened? Yeah. For the original trilogy edition of it. I like that Wicket got included. <laughs> Maybe that was a contractual obligation. Oh, we watched Willow this past weekend. Oh. Yeah, which like I don't know if you guys it's even on re- Disney Plus, right? Remember Willow. Yeah, totally on Disney Plus. That was it was a it was a lot of fun. Mm. Although my my 9-year-old daughter's been complaining about the amount of uh stabbing and murder that she had to witness. I mean, dark I mean, times with Disney. That's yeah. a fair yeah. point. Yeah. Though, right? <laughs> yeah. Like let's agree. Yeah. Uh, the Rise of Skywalker also has a new poster. This is a this kind up. of a, a collectible poster for cool. Dolby Cinema. I love this. It's gorgeous. It's I screwed it up. Once Kishore gets it up there, it shows a lone X-wing against a sea of You like this? Star Destroyers. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It feels a little comic booky to me. I that's why I like it. Yeah. This is not a theatrical poster. It's, it's not like a collector's poster. This okay. is just like the the freebie you get if you go Got watch it. it in Dolby Cinema. Got it. Like when they do those IMAX posters. Is it it's not going out there? Ah, let's not. You don't need to put it up there. You okay. can Google it if you want to yeah, really see it. Google no spoilers it. for people who are kind of holding it out. Spoiler. Yeah. And then um, Disney announced five new Marvel movie release dates through 2023. But not the movies themselves. Not the movies, just placeholders. Little slots. Now, we know that some of these movies are already in the works, like Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Ant-Man 3, mm-hmm. Captain Marvel 2, uh, and of course, Kevin Feige at Comic Con dropped the names of Blade, Fantastic Four, X Men, and Deadpool. Technically, is MCU now, so any of these movies could be tr- put in these time in these uh, release date slots. Uh, I'm, I'm sure none of it's even figured out yet because they're all in various states of pre-production. So why release these dates? Because it's it's about it's it's how the movie industry works. They got to have their foot in the sand mm-hmm. for like this is we're holding this weekend. Mm-hmm. We claim. This weekend, it's a, so it's kind of a courtesy to the other studios. Not really courtesy, more like a a like, warning. You know, yeah, it's it's a, it's it's definitely a warning shot. It's like you can try. Yeah, go ahead and put your Fast and Furious movie out this weekend. But you know what? I think your audience space is going to be watching our movies instead. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that they have to also have to juggle is the release schedule for the Disney Plus shows, and we're getting this with a little bit of the Mandalorian because. Remember, Mandalorian is being released on a weekly basis, at least in the U.S. Again, apologies for those of you in the U.K. who don't get it till end of March next year. But episode seven of the Mandalorian, or seven of the eight-episode run, will be moved up a couple days because normally it'd be released on Friday. But that Friday is the release of Rise of Skywalker, and so they don't want people at home watching Mandalorian on Disney Plus waiting for the drop they'd rather people in cinemas watching Rise of Skywalker which also gives them opportunity to kind of have things that happen Rise of Skywalker maybe influence or maybe things kind of dovetail with the TV shows and that's just in Star Wars with Marvel when they're talking about multiple TV shows and Kevin Feige has said you'll need to get a full picture of the MCU you'll need to watch the Disney Plus shows we haven't ever seen that done uh Taken that to another level, though, where the movies actually 
take place in the same universe and time frame as the TV show. And then the, they're like these major movie moments and then a season of like slower storytelling that evolved to another peak for the next movie season. I think there was, I mean, you saw a glimpse of it with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which while hmm. owned by Marvel was not part of the MCU. You know, it had Coulson, of course, but it's kind of almost an alternate reality because it was on ABC show, different showrunners. All of that gets folded in in the future. But they had after Infinity War, the snap, you know, the ramifications of the snap were shown literally the week after on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, wow. So there were okay. a little bit of, you know, I don't think we're cross pollination. I mean, but we're not going to get that here. The timeline of right. Mandalorians is so far different. But the way Norm was describing yeah. it, uh, I like that idea that it could be taken further by Disney. It was also an opportunity that HBO could have had with Game of Thrones, you know, build up to a big movie event every year uh, and then get people to, to watch the TV show afterwards. An so. HBO movie, like yeah. on HBO. No, no, in theaters. In theaters. Yeah, just have to partner with a distribution partner. And HBO is owned by Time Warner at t so it'd just be a WB movie. Hmm. And, and I'm sure they, they, it's all business and they're figuring out the economics of this stuff is why it doesn't happen. By the way, just for a fan's benefit, you're up to date on Mandalorian. I am. You have watched I it. I have watched it. Okay. And the only thing that I will say that's surprising about the second episode is that it was uh, 33 minutes. Yeah, shorter. Yeah. I, I didn't know. The first episode was like 41 minutes. And I didn't know if they were kind of going for that 40 minute time with, you know, so that it could be released in different territories with commercials, but they're kind of going widely all over the place. I love that. And you, I'm, I'm sure Favreau loves that too. Just freedom of whatever length you need. Look, mm. I'm all for freedom of length. This felt a little like filler. Really? Because it felt to me like more conclusion than I expected. I, mm. I, I wanted, I was expecting more cliffhangers and just like, you know, you got to tune in next week. But this felt much more like a conclusion to the first episode, and I felt good after it, but yeah, I, I'm still going to So I think it was a longer first episode that they spread out into two episodes. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Mm, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it could have been just tied to the first episode. Yeah. Anyway, we're still going to watch it. Uh, back to Warner Brothers in DC. This is, this is weird. I'm, this also could have been a top story this week, but we had tweets from Gal Gadot, Ben Affleck, and Zack Snyder on the hashtag release the Snyder Cut. I know it was on the anniversary, the two-year anniversary of Justice League coming out, but the momentum that this, and, for, and there's also a hashtag of a misspelling, release the Cinder uh, Cut that people are, just, are misspelling, but this, this enthusiasm for what may not even exist a version of Justice League that was before Joss Whedon came in and did some rewrites, before those reshoots, with theoretically finished visuals, which I don't think that would be even possible. But the fact that three of the principal people involved in that film, two actors and the director himself, two of whom, one of whom, uh, Galileo, is still heavily involved contractually in the Warner Brothers family, yeah, gives some credence to the theory that... Warner Brothers is strongly considering this and maybe even considering putting out this uh, as a HBO Max exclusive. Snyder Cut. Let me just tell you what this will do, accomplish. It will remind people of how bad that movie was. You, I don't think it's going to save it. It's going to make it worse. Well, I don't know about that. There's like, it's going to remind people how bad this movie is. You, you That's know, it. Like there's Blade Runner's a you know, precedent for this where they released the director's cut without the voiceover commentary. Yeah. And everyone loved it. So maybe maybe something as simple as that. I think a lot of fans were not happy with 
Justice League as it was released and are hoping and put so much faith in in the images and the glimpses they saw of what Zack Snyder had been working on and are hoping that that would save their their hope for the film and what they mm-hmm. their hopes that they put into a Justice League film I don't think they're going to be satisfied and I don't think that H or Warner Brothers would want to invest the money needed to get those special effects because the pipelines are all done. It's yeah. not like they can go back to the effects companies and say, oh, load up that you know, visual effects file. And we're going to give you some money to finish that work and make the scene look You know how much polished. money it would take to fix this film? About $300 million so they could just reshoot it with a new script. <laughs> okay. They might be serious. Just, just in the effects budget. It's bad. It would be in the tens of millions in the effects budget. And yes. that would be all marketing money if they were to use this as a way to sell HBO Max subscriptions. So it's again, it's an economics game. If they feel like it's worth it, it's not going to be a theatrical release. I mean, this is just a conspiracy theory. Even if they do that on HBO Max, like a few people might sign up out of curiosity. It's not going to be a driver of subscriptions. Again, this is all about this is about the, the, the spreadsheet, the calculus they have to do. And if the numbers work out, they'll do it because they're the studio. And if numbers don't work out, it won't happen. But the fact that Zack Snyder, Ben Affleck, and Gal Gadot have put it out there, I think, gives it a little bit more momentum. I think it was a sponsored tweet by DC at this point. That's what I Ouch. think. Uh, the Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot is for sale? I mean, they're, all, they're all employees. Ouch. I don't know. This is this piques my curiosity. I, if it's out there, fine. I'm, I, I would just be happy that the the constant clamoring that I see online for it would finally come to an end because people can see that, okay, it is what it is. You know, let's move on to the next thing. There are other DC movies coming out that you can get excited about. There's Aquaman 2. There's Wonder Woman 2 coming out Birds next year. Prey. Birds of Prey coming out like in a few short months. Yeah. Let's, what's let's, what's that? It's a um, Harley, Harley Quinn movie. spinoff oh, movie. Right. Yes, right. Yeah. And speaking of Harley Quinn and the Joker, Warner Brothers is now apparently in active development of a sequel to Todd Phillips' Joker because it made a billion dollars. It's the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. Whoa! Congratulations! And it made it, it like cost them under hundred million, and it is more profitable for Warner Brothers than Endgame was for Disney. Think about how much bigger of a staircase they have to find for the <laughs> sequel. Were there special effects in it? Not really. Yeah. I mean, there is some like, you know, smattering of of sort of like fighting and stuff Mm -hmm. uh, and gunshots, but I wouldn't call that really special effects. I mean, the reason it was cheap is because there really wasn't. There's like people in makeup and it was the it's the the superhero film, the comic book film for people who don't watch comic book films, movies. I should see this movie. Well, they're going to make Joker 2. And Todd Phillips apparently is also think about developing another DC Comics character to tell the story of in the vein of Joker, his Joker. So another mm-hmm. artsy, grittier. Who would you want? What character? Yeah, I know who I want. Tell me. Victor Freeze. Oh, that's good. That's good. I don't think he would go to the rogues gallery, though. Victor mm-hmm. Freeze, Mr. Freeze is not a... a, a Sympathetic name, character backstory. But it's not a name. That they could base, uh, that they could sell the movie around, like the Riddler Freeze. movie. That's mm. the name of the movie. Freeze. Mm. No, Heart of Ice. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's the name of the movie. Come on. Yeah. What am I doing? I apologize. Come on. All right. Let's move on from that. Uh, speaking of other DC stuff, Black Adam. There's a release date. The Rock, tw- uh, 
put this on Instagram. So they have a release date of, what is it? 2021. 12, 12. Holiday movie. 22, 21. Perfect palindrome. There you go. Shazam. <laughs> and it's concept art of The Rock. He'll be pretty old by then. The Rock as Black Adam. Perfect casting. Yeah, of course. Um, oh, the last bits of movie news. Andy Weir, friend of Tested, mm-hmm. signed a deal with uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, directors of Lego Movie, of 2122 Jump Street, and early version of Solo, to develop his, uh, the, his new, uh, new idea. It's not going to be Artemis. Artemis, I think, it already is optioned, but this is going to be another hard science Science, uh, hard science movie. And um, we, have, we have no idea what it is. Is it a novel he's planning to write, or is this an original screenplay? I think it's going to be original screenplay. Hot dog. Yeah, it's an original idea, and I don't think anybody is writing a screenplay. It's just the idea, and um, a screenwriter will be hired. Oh, Andy won't write it? I mean, Andy I mean, will write he, it, and then it'll get adapted. Yeah, I don't. He, yeah, he, he didn't write The Martian either. That was Drew Goddard. And that right, was, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But give, I'm he, sure he'll have input. I'm sure okay. the reason they're they're working with him, you know, is to have him develop those ideas and cool. And, and I'm know, really excited. Maybe not write the words. I, Andy has always had kind of slightly sarcastic, deprecating characters that fits with Lord and Miller. This is great. Really Excellent. excited about this. Very excited. I'm, I'm more excited the fact that it's Lord and Miller. I think, it's, and, and I love Andy. Um, I, I just think that he needs to be paired with directors that have a unique vision and, a, and can execute. Okay. Doesn't everyone? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh oh! Last bit of Disney Plus. I don't know if we talked about this last week. Oh, yeah, we did. Yes, the oh, Duff yeah. joke. Yeah. So Disney's come out and said they're going to fix Simpsons aspect ratios. We're going to get four by three. Win again next year. You I guys, mean, you did it. Good job. It tells me that Disney was not prepared for so much of a Disney Plus launch. We have there are numerous technical issues with it. It's not really. Yeah, I'm I'm getting the double playback problems now. The oh, playlist yeah. stuff, the watch list stuff, none yeah. of that. Really I, there's so much room for improvement in the yeah. viewing experience. The content's there, but I think their app needs a lot of work. That's true. And I think a lot of it was huh. kind of like database in, uh, injected from what they had from FFX uh-huh. uh, and their current archive of you know whatever the rips are, and so you know. It, it wasn't as thoughtful as it could have been. I don't know. The encoding ha- is better than any other service I've looked at. Like I've I've gone up with a microscope and looked at the screen on my f- 4K, and mm-hmm. I, I don't see compression noise. Like on a 4K on the Dolby Vision on, in the dark scenes, it's yeah. remarkably good. I think Mandalorian is a big middle finger to HBO, like in terms of the compression and whatever codec well, they're using. HBO doesn't even use. Um, doesn't That's even true. Use they don't 4K. even do 4K. Yeah. But, I mean, but their compression stuff is horrible. Yeah. You get all kinds of noise yeah. in that. Game of Thrones show. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good good stuff. But you're saying about the Simpsons? Uh, Simpsons will be the four by three. Hopefully, it'll still be the the, film, uh, the scanned originals yeah. and and uh, an HD version. How about that? Yeah. So this will be new, right? Like this haven't been. This is not out there. No, in some other format. Is. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before we get on to the next segment, I want to let you know that this is only a test. This week is made possible with support from Afternoon Cyber Tea. For companies, governments, and even individuals, managing the ever-evolving cyber threat landscape can be the difference between thriving and being thwarted. Afternoon Cyber Tea with Ann Johnson has insights for CISOs and key decision makers striving to succeed amid rapid change without compromising security. 
Each week, Ann Johnson, Corporate Vice President for Cybersecurity Solutions at Microsoft, talks with cybersecurity thought leaders and influential industry experts to explore perspectives on implementing new tech, next-generation security risks, current trends, and the future state of cybersecurity. Join Ann as she and her guests explore the risks and promise of tools and systems powered by AI, IoT, machine learning, and other emerging technology, as well as the impact on how humans work, communicate, consume information, and live in this era of digital transformation. Because it's not enough to keep up with the cyber criminals, you need to stay a step ahead, too. Afternoon Cyber Tea is available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Listen in to lead the future of cybersecurity. Okay, not a ton of tech to go over. We got a uh, huge VR minute ahead. I though. know, I know. So let's get through this relatively quickly. We had launch in uh, the technology space and the gaming space. Stadia, Google Stadia launch, and what a let's just say, yeah. I'm a, a botch launch. It was botch yeah. launch. Yeah. My goodness. So. Stadia had been ramping up since March when they announced it at GDC. You got to try a little bit of it at GDC, the promise of cloud gaming. A game that isn't on the service. I got to play Assassin's Creed. It's on the ser- it is on service. Oh, it is? It is. It just wasn't part of uh, the reviewer's program. They, ah, they okay, expanded out yeah. the launch titles. Thank you. So, uh, and they did a whole beta. You're right. You can open your Chrome browser and try to play Odyssey. Just kind of push the limits of that. And they had ripped up to this November launch where people had paid $130 for a Founders Edition, right, in which you get a Stadia game controller. Mm-hmm. You get... Uh, uh, Chromecast Ultra, the one that will work with Stadia at launch, and then you theoretically pair that to the Chromecast Ultra or plug it over USB to your computer or play it with a Pixel phone. I actually have one right here. And uh, this claw here, which is this mount, is sold by Google but not part of the Founders Edition. And the idea is at launch you can pay $10 a month to get 4K 60fps games, HDR games on your TV, mm-hmm. uh, or max out the resolution on your laptop and or the, the, the phone. Not The experience, one, was not what they promised. Two, the game selection was quite paltry. They announced previously it would be 12 games. They At the last minute, literally, like a, two days before launch, Sunday night, sent our press release. We now have 22 games, and we're giving you two games now, Destiny 2, which is free for everyone already, and Samurai Showdown, which, great. Um, and there's games like Assassin's Creed, Metro Exodus, Red Dead Redemption 2. So you can buy those games on Stadia and play it streaming. But the people who were founders, the, one of the big parts was that, okay, I'm a founder. I'm going to put $130 in because I want to reserve my username. And they're going to send out your codes uh-huh. in the order of which you place your pre-order. No. Did you get Norman. I did because I was uh, in the reviewers program. So me along with a bunch of uh, other reviewers got a week to use it. But people who had put money in were waiting and didn't get their codes until even after some people who had pre-ordered like uh, two months ago. Hmm. And there was an – like you can go on the Reddit threads and there's an R- R- Stadia and people are tracking hour by hour whether they've gotten their codes. Some of the hardware had to be hand-delivered because people, even if they pre-ordered it, the shipping that wasn't guaranteed to arrive day one. Okay. What a, quite a bad day one launch. I feel like that will be forgiven in time. How is the actual experience of using it? Well, not only 
that the features that they had announced, half of them were there, right? Like there's features that they had done blog posts about, about how you could be watching a YouTube video of someone playing a multiplayer game and then press a button in the YouTube window and then jump into their game in your Chrome browser. Whoa. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Not there. The ability for you to do Twitch-style watch streams of, like, your favorite people playing games and kind of composite them in a virtual space, not there. Okay. So much of the stuff not there. And also the promise of 4K 60 FPS 5.1, not really there. Um, I was able to do uh, as much testing as I wanted on this, but Digital Foundry, check, like, Red Dead Redemption, really rendering, not really at 4K, really at the 1440p version, they weren't getting consistent 60 FPS. Their capture was only doing 30 FPS. Is that where they bandwidth limited? No, no. It's just that's what they're running on the server side. Mm. Laptop stuff is even limited to 1080 right now, scaled up. And yeah, the promise is that their stream, because it's complicated, right? This, what they're sending out in terms of the video signal may be different than what they're rendering on their server side. So their promise was that we're going to be doing input at you know, 60 or 120, so we're going to try to minimize latency there. We're going to be rendering even doing some super sampling, so we're going to get the best fidelity graphics, and then when that's streamed over to your side, even though that's 1080, and using like a, like a 20 megabit connection or something, it's still going to look the best it can. A lot of these games, the, high, the very taxing high-end games, Red Dead especially, are not looking nearly okay. as good. On a big screen TV. Has anyone done real scientific latency testing? Digital Foundry had some, and you're getting, they're getting about 50 milliseconds less. Which, what again, do you mean less? Uh, sorry, 50 milliseconds more latency than, 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 on, local. On, than a local connection. Okay. Now, I'm going to caveat and say that I don't think this is a replacement for big screen console gaming. Why not? I think, at least at launch right now. Okay. And I don't think it's a replacement for desktop gaming, mm -hmm. especially on laptops or desktops where you are putting yourself much closer to you. If you have a big monitor, like you want to see native resolution to your monitor games, not just 1080 upscaled to your 4K monitor or your 2.7K monitor. Um, the place where it shines is mobile gaming. Hmm. Like it basically, the setup that I have here is where I like Stadia the most. You, where, but you don't want to play on a phone, do you? Sometimes, yeah, the playing Mortal Kombat and playing Red Dead online on my couch or in bed on a phone feels like magic. And I'm very lucky in that we're in the Bay Area and I have hmm. high speed internet, and I'm not getting the latency problems that folks like at Washington Post and Forbes have gotten. But that feels magical that I can play Red Dead a long, you know, 50 hour game and yeah. jump in any time and. The disappointing thing is that I'm not, if I'm doing it this way, I'm not going to get the fidelity as good as an Xbox One X when I want to play it on the big TV. I mean, is there a little bit of like, if I'm plopping down $1,000 for a phone, like this makes economic sense instead of buying like a console or investing in like the, yeah. the, the system for all of this kind of stuff? And so uh, I don't think about the world that way. Like, I haven't been thinking about, like, do I get a phone or do I get a game system? Those feel like different budgetary items well, in my life. It's for people who, they expect people to jump on this who are, to already have laptops and phones. Yeah. And it's not on every, la you know, it's not, it's not on every um, phone. It's on Chrome browsers. So technically on, you know, Chrome, um, Chromebooks and whatever laptop you can have a Chrome browser on. 
Um, and on TVs, it's Chromecast Ultra only right now. So I don't think it's an indictment on cloud streaming as a concept, which I know a lot of people are very against because of just the rights for, right? There's no rights management where if you if Stadia goes away, there's no guarantee that you get your content that you've paid for. Like they right. could have done a lot to just throw money at the problem and say, publishers, let's put a safety net here to to assuage these fears. If we go, if Stadia goes away, we'll you know, give everyone origin codes or I mean, EA is not on Stadia, but like well, give everyone Ubisoft code. It's it's one step removed Steam codes. even from digital purchases. I mean, digital purchases keep you from uh, r- right off the secondary market entirely. Like if you were used to buy a physical product, you can at least resell it when, yeah. you, when you're done with it. Digital purchases, you can't. And with this, you don't even know if you'll be able to play that digital purchase tomorrow. Yeah. It's like, you know how on, on books, ebooks and audiobooks it started off really rough and there was a lot of debate about like which platform people like books, like physical books. And so they were wary about eBooks. And now that it's kind of all figured itself out where people basically get, you know, if you buy the book, you get the eBook essentially, or you buy the, buy the CD, you get the download track, right? You get the digital, you get the, you buy the Blu-ray, you get the physical media and you get the iTunes version. That's where we should get to a point where, and Microsoft might be in a better, better position to do this with their xCloud stuff. Or if you buy the game as a digital download on Xbox, you also get to do it on xCloud. Yeah. It just, I don't know if it's, they're incentivized to do that because it's very expensive to set up these cloud streaming services um, when people are already spending the money on the game copies, the games right now and the hardware right so now. So the basics on Stadia, do you need to have their controller? No. You can, you can plug in, and you can plug in a uh, Switch, control, Switch Pro controller on, on your laptop, you can plug in a Microsoft controller. Xbox controller, Xbox whatever. Controller. Yeah. And then do I need to subscribe to the service or can I just buy games a la carte? Not, you do need to subscribe right now. The free version, which caps you at 1080, won't launch until next year. And I feel like that's the version that is going to make or break Stadia. Okay. Because that's the version where you're not committed to $10 a month. You can just sign up, get your user account, capped at 1080p, which on mobile play is... 60? Fine. You don't get 60 FPS. You don't? 30 FPS. Okay. On that one. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm surprised. Like I would expect 1080 60 for free? If I if no, I'm I'm it's not free. I'm buying the game. Oh, no, no, no. If you Oh, right, right. You, but you're not buying the service. Yeah. This is again where there's a lot of a lot of unhappy yeah. customers. That's tricky. So, it, it's too early. I, I wish they had just called it a beta, a soft launch. Hmm. Founder edition doesn't mean beta. You know, it, it's tough. In, in the gaming, in the console world, where if PlayStation launched like this, it would be dead on arrival. You, there's no coming back. You know, they're used to, as a company, as a technology company, releasing products and rolling out features, but I don't think that works for gamers. Speaking of cloud streaming, xCloud, coming 2020. Okay. That was a big thing. Um, cool. Windows 10 support, 2020. And uh, yeah, we'll look for we'll be testing that. I mean, there's also GeForce Now and the NVIDIA side. And there are a bunch of like cloud streaming services that you can pay right now. You know, probably a little more expensive, but to basically like you know twenty twenty five dollars a month to have a high end gaming PC in the cloud that you can run any program on mm-hmm. with some dedicated storage and just run it remotely. Like this is available now, and you can you know install Steam and, and buy your games there, and that, that would totally work. All right, some phone stuff. Hey, Razer announced that Razer Fold. It's it's a real thing. There it is. There it is. Uh, bending screen, same form factor as the classic Razer, but a very narrow, long, tall screen. 
with a custom version of Android. You basically get an normal Android phone that folds in half. Yeah. Or like slightly smaller Android phone that folds in half. Are you going to get this phone, Kishore? Uh, not a chance. Not a chance. $1,500. What? That yeah. is the <laughs> not a chance part. Launch on Verizon next month. Wow. This is, I don't know. It, it's, it's like. This is more of a nostalgia play than it is a realistic use it's case. a prestige product it's it's not it's going to be for people who have so much money they just want to buy something new and different oh, and God. a couple of years down the line it's going to be put in science fiction films as a I, prop i do think like if they're able to demonstrate the foldable technology as being resilient and uh able to just withstand the everyday use this could be interesting in retrospect i still don't think it's a meaningful product for uh, for Android users. Yeah, yeah. that's too bad. Yeah. Uh, last week, the MacBook 16-inch Pro was announced, and the reviews out now, as well as teardowns. iFixit did a teardown. And uh, most importantly, the keyboard, of course, uh, is, is back to the butterfly. Or sorry, um, what it is not the butterfly switch yeah, anymore. It's, not the, it's the old school switches. It's the old scissor switch. We like that. We do like it. There's a little bit of more travel you know, Phil Schiller has been going around doing some interviews talking about the designs and the feedback from the pro community. Doesn't excuse the fact that the other MacBooks currently, like the Air and the 13-inch Pro, still use the butterfly design. And so um, they should not get away with the fact that this, this should not be rewarded for, for this, again, a botched keyboard design uh, that did not really listen to the users. So it's it's on the high end side. It really sucks for those of you who are looking for a smaller laptop this holiday season, because not everyone can afford or need that 16 inch MacBook Pro. I checked it out. Went to the Apple Store. Nice screen. Like that escape key. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and if you are in that market, probably I'd say still wait a year for the new uh, 10th gen Intel processors because oh, yeah. these processors are already. Uh, Half a year old. Unless, like, your keyboard is just that bad for you. Then don't buy a Mac. Yeah. Well, I'm saying if you have one right now and it's just killing you. Yeah. Apple also announced smart battery cases for their iPhone 11 uh, lines. So, iPhone 11, 11 Pro, and the Pro Max. They're expensive, 130 bucks. And what's new, though, is there's a dedicated button on the extern- external side of this uh, case, essentially, also battery pack, that's for a camera. It's a, uh, it's to launch the camera app. Mm-hmm. You mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, they, that's more acknowledgement that these phones are primarily sold now. The killer app is not just messaging, but it's for photography. How does that communicate with the phone? Is it Bluetooth? Is it some sort of wireless connection that nobody knows about? That is, I think it's over um, Lightning because they're plugged in Lightning. Oh, it is batteries. plugged in. Oh, yeah, that's how it charges. It's not inductive. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. oh no, it wouldn't be inductive. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. it's over, over lighting, which, you know, love or hate it, it is what it is. Lighting could be so much faster. Redesign lightning. Just use USB-C. Else. It'll be back to USB-C. Yeah. So. You think so next year? Yeah. Um, if you have an Amazon smart speaker assistant, I'm not going to say its name, uh, you'll be able to access Spotify free mm-hmm. on it soon. That's cool. So for US users, again, it was a licensing deal thing. They're going to figure that out. Uh, that's a plus. And then on the negative side of the Amazon's thing, uh, well, they also own Ring. And Ring has come out and acknowledged that uh, the police 
law enforcement can request your video from Ring up to, what is it, 10 days around uh, when an incident happens. Um, and they can keep that video forever. I'm sorry, not tw- 10 days, 12 hours of video from anyone within half a square mile of a suspected crime scene covering a 45-day time span. Wow. So if crime happened half a mile from you 43 days ago, they can get your video, a 12-hour block of your video, and keep it forever. And I'm not. it's not clear that you're going to know that the police got this. Uh, it's so I, I think there's going to be a lot of variation state to state. This is U.S. only, by the way. Uh, th- uh, I'm not a fan of this at all, uh, especially if there's no user notification that uh, law enforcement accessed your video records. Yeah, exactly. Notification would go a long way. I don't have a problem with this, although I would like notifications. I think the notification is like a really big issue. Mm-hmm. I think I would rather have a notification, but... I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a problem with this. Well, I think... I, I, well, all right. All right. It's not that Jeremy you personally I, have a problem yeah. with it. It's for what it means for other people. Yeah, they don't have a say. There's no consent yeah. here. Yeah. And it, it, like, it gets really close to unlawful search and seizure, yeah. I think. Just because it doesn't affect you personally, mm-hmm. it could affect a lot of people negatively. All right. Big week for car news as well. Ford announced the Mustang Mach-E. They had said previously that uh, you know they sell trucks. They're they they've done very well with the F one fifty, but on the sedan side, they're going to narrow their product line to Mustangs only, and also electric Mustangs. Yeah, but they're also calling it an SUV it, it, because it looks like an SUV. <laughs> uh, I mean, let's just like well, call it what it is. The Chevrolet called the Bolt a crossover. It's not exactly a crossover. Well, I mean, it's at least close. This looks like an SUV. Yeah. Can I tell you, I like this thing. You want one? I, I kind of want one. The base price is $43,000, so it's not cheap. 210 has, miles on that. Compared yeah, to, compared and to then you can upgrade it to like 255 or so, uh, depending on the package. Obviously, that'll get you probably over 50K in on it. Uh, the big like functional financial issue is that the tax credit in the US is based off of the manufacturer and the model. So they've been making a big play that the $7,500 tax credit, you're going to be able to get with this vehicle, unlike the Teslas, which have been... Because they sold too many. Yeah, they've, they've been chopped down. And it's got great range. I think this... Up to 300, has a frunk and a touchscreen, a vertical touchscreen. <laughs> the frunk can contain a cooler? I know. That's such a weird little feature. It looks kind of sporty and fun, and it takes advantage of what electric cars do really well, which is accelerate and have have great pickup. I think the screen looks good. I haven't been excited about a Ford vehicle ever in my life. This thing looks sexy and great. It's heavily inspired by the uh, Model 3 internally. It's got, well, it's got the big screen on the, it's dead center. But it's vertical, so yeah, it's just inspired like, by the Model X. No, that's true. The three went went horizontal. That's yeah. true. So that the S and the X both are and has, still has a ton of buttons on the steering wheel. I like that. I like, like buttons. Give yeah. me buttons. It has a dial on the screen. That's yeah. wild. I like that actually. Yeah. It, it also has support it, it's for tactile dial. Yeah. It's yeah. Not a not a, not a um, soft dial. Soft. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it, we're, we're not talking. Yeah. It supports both 
Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Which is neat because it's going to place those next to other apps that are running. Hmm. I don't think anyone's done that with, with CarPlay before. I mean, for all of Tesla's design decisions for not including physical buttons, and so much of that seems like a philosophy rather than a cost-cutting measure, maybe there are elements of both into it, I'm glad that they don't embrace skeuomorphic design on the Tesla UI. It's nothing, it's, it's not fake virtual dials, it is just arrows and, and sliders, mm-hmm. just like it would be on, on a touchscreen, which is I good. I think I like the tactile feedback, and it, I've never had a button on a steering wheel fail. That doesn't mean they won't, but I think they're fairly reliable. I'm kind of interested in this. I mean, it doesn't ship till 2021, and you know that those dates tend to slip, given how far out we are. I didn't realize it didn't ship till 2021. Wow, that's a wait. Yeah, I mean, but that's like closer to the end of one of my car's current lives. So, um, cool, man. Yeah, I'd like to ride in this car. Volkswagen also announced their electric car. This is the eighth one they've announced in the series. It's called the ID Space Vision. It's got to be a concept car. Uh, it also looks like an SUV. I think some of the images released have a little more concepty kind of feel to them. It's a station wagon. Uh, yeah, SUV station wagon hybrid. What do you want to call it? Um, it? It also, it has a higher range. I think it has a 300 mile range in its base. Uh, it also looks great. And has uh, a horizontal screen. This one looks really ripped off of a, this, a Model uh, 3. Yeah, but I don't mind that, right? I mean, where like it's not like you can do that much with the screen. Is somebody going to come out with a triangle screen? Like, It's either got to be ho- landscape or portrait. Um, but both the Ford, the Mustang Mach-E, and this Vision uh, do have screens behind the steering wheel. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, it won't go as far as Tesla to say, we won't put that speedometer there. Yes. Right. Which, maybe that's in response to the Model 3. I'm not saying that it is. I probably is. But- <laughs> I think the Volkswagen's much more closer to the Tesla stack. Very much more minimalistic. Yep. The Mustang feels like an American, like a just traditional American car with like a lot of uh, too much, too much glossy plastic in this. It's just like fingerprint city. Uh, like even the Model X moved away from all that shiny plastic on the, on the back of the. But the I think seats. we're glossing over the important point is like we're finally getting competition in the marketplace, and that is a sign of costs slowly coming down and better, uh, just better in like a uh, user experience of the product. Oh, and also acceptability in the in the marketplace yeah. for electric cars, for sole electric cars. What's with the big though... skateboard wheels in the trunk? They are just showing like the capacity, I think, of the trunk. There's those are those integrated skateboards? What are we what is that? I have no idea. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. Uh and of course there will be a Tesla unveil this week on Thursday. Tonight, if you're listening to this on Thursday, the Cybertruck will be unveiled in Los Angeles by uh by Elon Musk and his cohorts. Mm-hmm. What is it going to look like? It's going to look good. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you mm, sure? I'm not sure. What car that have they designed that doesn't look good? What? Give, give me one. A lot of people would argue the front of the Model S, the first generation, with that like radar dish mm-hmm. front, did not look good. I think that's nitpicking. <laughs> this is so. They haven't shown a silhouette for this. They have not shown. Anything that that one angle, people extrapolated sketches from it. Mm-hmm. The hard edges, it, it, it's 
I don't think it's going to look like any pickup truck. And I think that we've seen current design, and I yeah. think people are going to be very resistant to it. And the fact that they're leaning heavily into the cyberpunk theme. That is such a weird conclusion to get from the silhouette. It's so early. I mean, let's look at it. Let's, let's be optimistic and say, look, it's probably going to look good because your car looks good. The new Roadster looks absolutely jaw-dropping. Even the Semi looks interesting. I bet it's going to look good. And you know the I'm, reason they chose this date. Um, November Blade 2021. Runner. The events of Blade Runner happen on November 21st, 2021. Holy cannoli. Mm-hmm. What if it's not a pickup truck where the cab is behind the driver, but the cab is in front of the... Uh, the, the I mean, sorry, the... Uh, the, uh, the, the the bed? The bed is yeah. in front of the driver. That seems like a dangerous move. I think that would, <laughs> that would be like, no one will buy this. Uh, I I think it'll look fine. I think it will, uh, like, in the unveil, they'll probably have all these LEDs and nighttime kind of focus that'll make it feel more cyberpunky. And then when it's out in the daylight, it'll, under, look, like it'll look like a kind of streamlined pickup truck. I'm gonna. The way that this truck looks is going to be the subtext. This entire event is going to be about how practical it is. I think I agree, and I think this is the category I've been waiting for for adoption of electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. But they're going so far. I mean, if they go f- so far out with the look, there's going to be a lot of just resistance from people who would traditionally spend a lot of money on a big pickup truck. You're talking about Elon Musk going a little far with his unveil of something? Yeah. Well, that's I, I think that's a disconnect between the type of consumer. I mean, like, people who buy Teslas now are not the same market that they're going after with this, with a, with a pickup truck. I, I think where Norm's coming from is he's concerned he's going to be jealous. That it, gonna this be is going to be the, the first time there's been a new Tesla since he got his Tesla. Mm-hmm. No, the Model Y. Oh, is, I guess that's true. Yeah. 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 Okay. And do you want a Y? No. Okay. I'm okay. And, and even the the um the uh the the Roadster. Yeah. The new Roadster oh. was announced after well, Model Three. That doesn't count. That's a Matchbox <laughs> car. Yeah. That's that's a that's that's out of my price range. <laughs> Not out of some other YouTuber's price range. But out of out of my price range. I hope sure. Simone somehow makes it. Yeah. I think she she's going. She tweeted. She's going. She tweeted that she that's got an awesome. invite. Yeah. We'll hopefully get a test ride at some point. We'll see. All right, that does it for technology news. Before we continue on with uh, the podcast and our big VR section, I'll let you know that this is only a test this week is also made possible with generous support from Lutron Caseta Smart Lighting. Uh, A lot of people think you need smart bulbs to get smart lighting, but there is a smarter way. Caseta Smart Dimmers and Switches replace the switch in your wall so all the lights controlled by that switch act smart. Think about all the places in your home where one switch controls multiple lights. Ceiling lights, bathroom lights, chandeliers, and more. Well, with Caseta, you'll save money by replacing the switches as opposed to all those bulbs. Smart bulbs are only smart when the switch is on. If someone flips it off, you can say goodbye to smart control and connectivity. But Caseta switches are always smart. They're always wired in, and even if the switch is off. With Caseta dimmers, you don't need to buy smart bulbs and enjoy the smart lighting. You get the best of both worlds, smart control from an app or your voice, and control right at the switch, which makes things very convenient when you have your hands full, like when you're trying to feed a baby and dim the lights and put that baby to bed, like I do in my home. Get smart lighting the smart way with Caseta by Lutron Smart Switches. Learn more about Caseta at lutron.com slash test once again that's lutron l-u-t-r-o-n dot com slash test 
moment of science. All right, I've put a big picture on the screen uh, behind you. It's of telescopes looking at the night sky. Do you know anything, notice anything about the in- image, gentlemen? Yes, yes, there's satellites in the sky. Yeah, so there is this kind of uh, stretch of satellites on the sky that are, look like almost like shooting stars uh, going in a regular stream. Though This is a picture from the Chilean Observatory. It's one of the most heavily used observatories uh, because of its altitude and uh, the, the modern telescopes on there. And astronomers are pissed about that streak you see across the sky because that streak you see across the sky are the Starlink satellites that uh, SpaceX has been launching um, primarily to deliver Internet to uh, to locations that wouldn't be able to uh, have them. But these satellites... Yeah, they want to have hundreds of these. There are right? so many of them that they're interfering with astronomical observations. And astronomers are now releasing photos of how it's interfering with their no long-term work because literally just satellites, streams of satellites are coming in their field of view. Uh, there's a great set of Twitter threads about like the observations that are being disrupted by Starlink. And I don't think this is just because it's an Elon Musk situation that they're mad. I think they're, they would be mad in any case. All right. You, you would think that it would be such a small amount of the sky. No, but I mean, they're because they're in this like regular row and there's yeah. so many of them. Pollution. Uh, all right. Have you heard of Optum? It's a software company. Negative. Uh, They and many other software companies make predictive software. I mean, some would call it AI-enabled software for hospitals. And their business is basically when a patient comes in, uh, based on their history, based on who they are, based on the condition they present with, they are – this software is supposed to help doctors and hospital staff uh, assert how much – uh, extra care or priority care goes into a patient. Does that make you uncomfortable a bit already? Uh, yes. It, it makes me a little uncomfortable. Well, uh, there was an analysis of the algorithm that Optum wrote uh, that came out in a, uh, a uh, paper in Science this week, or about two weeks ago. And what the paper found is that there was really significant bias in the algorithm. And it was a incredible racial bias in the algorithm. And the algorithm doesn't take race into account. So how did this happen? So what it does is when somebody comes in, it takes a look at their potential cost of care for the patient, a future cost of care, uh, based off of the condition they have, and then sort of prioritizes based on that. Unfortunately, here in the U.S., uh, African-Americans tend to not have as much access to healthcare, and so their future cost of care is significantly less. It's usually on the order of about $1,800 a year. And so it was subtly discriminating against African Americans and giving them a lower priority in terms of the urgency of some of their medical care needs. Um, And this was happening in many hospitals, like hundreds of hospitals across the country. This was occurring now. And so these algorithms, one of the the critiques in the paper is that because the algorithms aren't open, because they're proprietary software pieces, that these kinds of analysis can't be overlaid. 
and the, there's no bad intent in the design of the algorithm because the algorithm only took into account the future cost of care, but because future cost of care is tied to societal issues, and one of those issues is that African Americans in yeah. the U.S. get less care, you can see the ball rolling down the hill. This discomfort is, I think, symbolic of concerns that are emerging about the use of of AI inside of healthcare situations. We've talked about AI in the use of, in the courtroom. Uh, here we are here too. Uh, I think this is the kind of paper and story uh, by my read of it that leads to like congressional testimony. It, this is like, this is one that's going to catch fire. This is going to become an issue next year. You're going to see hearings about this topic. So this is one of those things that like, I think consumers should be aware of is happening to you when you go to the hospital because it's really opaque. Well, yeah, and just machine learning in general, it's it's amazing that racial bias can be inherited that way, you know, without any any false intent, just from lack of consideration. Yeah, yeah, and again, it's not um, it's not a sort of a, a negative about the company. It's it's just sort of societal norms. It's All a right. byproduct that affects a lot of people. It does. It ends up. All right, I'm going to play a video on the screen, and Jeremy, can you describe what you're seeing? Uh, I, it's a psychedelic butterfly. It's a hologram of the Earth. Yeah, so what you are seeing is a hologram. It's a new kind of hologram. So holograms uh, traditionally, especially 3D holograms, um, and these look kind of like the Princess Leia-type holograms from Star Wars, for those that are listening. With interlaced scan lines. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, the ones that are more 3D were made by essentially vibrating a screen in the place that was uh, that the projection was happening to cheating. create the 3D effect. Yeah, it was a form of cheating, uh, <laughs> but uh, and, and that was supposed to give like depth of perception to you in person. Yeah. Um, but the experience is is limited, and you obviously can't touch because the laser would just basically burn your hand if you tried to um, get in into that position. Well, a set of computer scientists from, oh, God, I'm forgetting what uh, institution. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to forget the institution. Um, oh, sorry. University of Sussex in Brighton came up with a new way. So they took a small bead. It's really small and used, surrounded it with ultrasound. And these ultrasound waves would move the bead in space and they would create sort of uh, like essentially sort of um, like a shapes persistence of vision kind of thing yeah it, well kind of you couldn't see the bead it's so small mm -hmm. and it was moving because of the ultrasound waves it was moving about nine meters a second through this little area a physical thing it's a physical bead and because it was moving there they would pulse the laser projection on it to hit the bead as it was going through space so those images you were seeing there were a bead going through the space and laser catching it at precise moments. Okay. So there is not a vibrating screen. Bonus, what they did next is because now you have this like projection of ultrasound that are shooting sound waves to move this into position is when you would sort of reach toward it, they uh, built in some ultrasound with IR um, uh, cameras. I don't know what you call them, IR pulsers. And they would create pressure points on your finger by focusing the sound and IR waves to create sensations when you reach to touch the hologram. 
I mean, I, that's that's something we've seen before, kind of the sound wave for, for touch. Yeah. But are you? Would your hand be intersecting with the movement of the bead? Can't touch the bead. Can't yeah. touch the bead. Exactly. Um, but they <laughs> so have like a field around the, yeah. the visual. I thought we were at the point where we could have two lasers intersect in midair and create light. Are we not there? Did I make that's, that up? That's not Wait, how it works. That's not how that works. Photons. Why do you want it to create light? Because I don't. I do want to be able to touch the bead. Jeremy wants a hologram. <laughs> what? This a is a hologram. hologram that you can reach out to. It's not a hologram. And interact with, and you create sensation around. Yep. I think it's pretty darn cool. It's neat. They've actually built it with a 512 ultrasound ring, uh, rig now, and it can uh, almost have enough fidelity for faces. All right. All within the confines of this cavity. Yeah. Of course. It's a small space. Yeah. It's not a, a you, we can't get Tupac out there in hologram mode yeah, yet, yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's not bad. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. All right. They're uh, not impressed. No. I did a report on holograms in sixth grade. I, so I'm like, I love holograms. I'm, I'm just waiting for the real deal. Were you disappointed that all holograms, the pretty holograms were just like, what real like the ones in sixth grade, the ones I reported on? The, the one no, that I thought it was great. Of, you know, the, no, I still don't even really understand how how they're made. <laughs> they're they're essentially light fields, on, on essentially light fields. Like they etch different angles. Yeah. On yeah, on a very in a very fine way on on the the medium, and so when you move your eyes around, you are seeing the different perspectives. The different All perspectives. the perspectives are are kind essentially etched there. So yeah. yeah, so you have every perspective. Yeah, so essentially like a, a light field, a limited, very limited mm-hmm. light field. Yeah. But it gives illusion of depth. Mm-hmm. All right, our next segment, Jeremy. Are you no more uh, advertisements no. today? Let's All do right, one more good. segment. This is it. This we got a it. big one. I know. And I have to pee. The VR Minute. Virtual reality this week. Suffice to say, we're going to go longer than a minute this week because we got some big VR news. Again, this could have been could have been the top story this week, but news dropped last week shortly after we recorded the podcast that John Carmack, now former CTO of Oculus, is just formerly of Oculus now. He's consulting CTO. So he is no longer a full-time employee right. of Facebook Oculus. He is just a consultant. <laughs> I mean, I did you see this coming? No, after OC six like, days before he received a lifetime achievement award in VR and called it premature, and and in that same note talked about some of his frustrations about well, the pace of VR development. That's to be expected because he's John Carmack and he thinks faster than the rest of us. And maybe he thinks that there are more things. And he wrote a big post about this, about his decisions that led up to this. It yeah. didn't have to do with being disappointed about VR. It had more to do about looking forward and how much time he had to solve the problems that he wanted to solve. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to tackle a problem where he could not see the roadmap to the end. And from this case, it would be general AI. How about that? Wow. Yeah. That's I'm, big. That would be big on its own. John Carmack tackling that. Uh, now, when it comes to computer graphics, I think of John Carmack as being 
one of the greats. One yeah, one of the, the pioneers. Absolute pioneers, but also currently even one of the great engineers in computer graphics. And he's proven himself to be on a, uh, an excellent hardware engineer as well and low-level software engineer in tweaking Android in order to make it do things for Oculus that no one else has managed to do. I don't, I don't think that you would have the Quest out as a, almost like a lone wolf in the industry as a standalone, inside-out, tracked, you know, six-degree-of-freedom headset if it weren't for John Carmack. Like, I believe he, his contributions to mobile VR gave Oculus the year or two long head start or advantage for all of the, any other competition to come along. For, for a Quest. Yeah, exactly for a Quest. And, I, and I feel I, like Quest is like what the iPhone was in 2007. And I think that a lot of people don't understand his, didn't understand his role, because of course he's not the only engineer uh, he doesn't even run the, you know, the only engineering team. No, of know, course. We've met plenty of engineers yeah. at Oculus who are who do important things. Uh, he was definitely a figurehead, right? And he had very uh, strong opinions about certain directions of VR mm -hmm. that we heard year after year at, um, at Oculus Connect. But his interest was on the mobile side from the very right. beginning on getting things like Gear VR up and running which he did the, the eulogy for. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and also the Quest. And I feel like once he got that, Done. It's not like he couldn't do more, but I feel like he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. Uh, so I, I appreciate his contributions there. I don't know how his skills and abilities lend themselves to the AR, AI field, because mm -hmm. that's a completely different beast sure. with scientists who have been spending their entire careers working on it. And I, I respect John Carmack as an absolute genius. I just, I'm, I'll be curious to see how his genius applies to that field. And we've got to go back to back to the moment of science. One of the very stories that we just talked about, how AI needs consideration beyond just the technical, you know, the technical acumen to, to make it. It needs strong, empathetic consideration. And, you know, and, and I, I don't know if John Carmack's even thinking that far ahead, but I'm hoping that if he embarks on this journey, he does it surrounded by people who could fill in those gaps. Yeah. Well, for him. there's a lot of people with very justified concerns about AI, and the, many people have said how ironic it would be, how appropriate perhaps it would be if John Carmack is the person who brings along the doom scenario for us in the form of AI. They're demons, cyber demons. Yes. Jeremy. The, this feels like a personal decision more than a company decision. He also said he wanted to work with the sun. Right, and this would be yeah. a project he would be able to do with his son. Mm -hmm. He talked about considering uh, nuclear fission as another possible journey, but it's not something he would be able to do. At home. That was son. a joke. Come on, Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? For someone who ran Armadillo Aerospace and wanted to be a rocket scientist, yeah, right. Uh, <sighs> so I mean, if John and he thinks he can make a non-zero contribution to general intelligence, general AI, which means. In his lifetime, which means in our lifetime, this could happen. Non-zero is, is the infinite spectrum of non-zero. I, I did a couple deep dives on general AI after he made this announcement in terms of like where we are and where it's projected to be. And it seems like in the next you know, 30, 40 years, we could have something. You know what might be more interesting um, is that the inspiration and the people who, the other engineers that he inspires to work with him on this problem, like him being a figurehead... And what he did for VR was also get 
you know, undoubtedly a bunch of engineers who wanted to, who were inspired by him in the video game world to work on the VR problem. Hmm. And maybe he can do the same for, for AI. I wonder. I, what I want to know is how do we follow his progress? And he's, is he going to be as open as he has been with his source code and, you know, pursuits in the past? No. Yeah, I I, the plan files aren't what they used to be. <laughs> That's right. Uh, other big Oculus news alluded to earlier, Oculus Link is out in beta as of this Monday. Um, the cable is not out. So the cable that we saw, uh, the fiber optic USB-C to C cable uh, that works with the Quest that Oculus is manufacturing but doesn't really want a Mac manufacturer, they just want someone to build it, uh, that is going to still hopefully be out in by the end of this year, we hope. And uh, in in the meantime, you can buy third party cables. That people are having really good luck with cables. Yeah, you can buy like an, a good Anker cable. That's what they currently the dev team recommends and have good success with. Up to ten feet, I believe, is that USB C to uh, type uh, type A. But of course, super speed as long I, as it delivers the throughput. People are having good luck with just about every cable they've tried. It's just the ports that matter. So yeah. you, um, usually people are plugging into a port on their motherboard rather than the third party, mm -hmm. you know, card that they have in there. But even some people have had good luck with those. There's even somebody who had good luck with a extension Extender. cable, an, an active extension cable, adding like 30 feet to the yeah. to the length. You can Whoa. buy those, right? You can find them online, uh, like a extender that basically power is one of the big limitations. So it has a third party, a power adapter that you plug into literally your, your USB cable. Where it is limited right now is with AMD cards. They don't officially support any. It's only NVIDIA cards and I think 1070 and up. So they're, they're not even... 1060 is supported. Oh, that's right. But not, not mobile. Not mobile. And so they haven't even gone back to the original MinSpec, which is the 970, but they're hoping to get all of the MinSpec cards online before the beta ends. I could not get my mobile 1070 which is supposed to be like a full-fledged 1070 what, to work. What happens when you plug it in? Uh, it's, I, I, I saw the it crashes, essentially. Huh. Um, it went through everything. The Quest shows up in, yeah. in um, Oculus. You put it on, and I get the prompt to enable Link Beta, and then I go back to the Quest gotcha. home menu, and it says Link has, Link has shut down. Link has crashed. My 1080, um, regular 1080 card, I, my PC, plugged it in. It works great. I mean, it, it, the... Compression is invisible. Well, 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 well. Let's you, let's talk about the differences, the quality of differences. Because uh, one, to even a ten foot cable, I'm going to say that that works on seated experiences. Mm. Standing will be okay. I did too, that. That's way too dangerous. I did pistol whip with it. And that, it was that, it was okay. You're asking for trouble. <laughs> it also depends on how your PC case is built out and where your port is. Of course, if you have a super speed port on the top of on the front uh, panel connector, you're going to get a better experience. And if you have to go to the back of your PC and plug it into one of the motherboard USB ports. I'm just saying I would not do standing without some sort of breakaway adapter mm. because that is a fragile USB jack on the side of it that is. Quest. And I would And I would also encourage you to either uh, use like a binder clip to clip the mm. cable itself to wire it so you don't see the, feel the pressure on the side of your head. There's 3D printed parts you can also, if you have a, a printer. A binder clip works great. Three D printed parts are, look good. They look, they do look good. But you know what? If you want to do a FrankenQuest mod, and you just want to use zip ties. Well, that also works. Did you sand and paint your three D printed? <laughs> I'm actually doing a uh, fifty micron print right now. That's taking oh two God. days of our Darth Vader bust. Oh, wow. yeah. Okay. Uh, quality of experience. It is seamless. It just works like a Rift or Rift S. Mm -hmm. You do get, you know, the fidelity of the resolution of a Quest. You do get the lower frame rate at 72 hertz, mm -hmm. which I don't know if that's noticeable for you, but it was 
Yeah, I'm not using a, a Rift S. I'm oh. using the CV1, which is to play Asgard's Wrath and Stormland. And um, I, what what bothers me more than the frame rate reduction is the weight. Um, the quest is so even with your Franken quest. Yeah, wow. the, the the quest is just so much more front heavy, and it's just uh, and plus having that cable there. Because um, I didn't have it strapped around to the back, it just it just felt worse. I would I would rather play Stormland or Asgard's Wrath or whatever on my CV one than I would on the because of the weight distribution on Link. I the, think, but if I didn't have a Rift, yeah, this is a great solution. That's your timer. Um, my I noticed the compression. Uh, did lot. you? I did. I, I noticed that the edges were because we played so much of Stormland. That's the first yeah. thing I went in, and the foliage, like the edges are. They're not. They look a little fuzzy. The edges are fuzzier because of the the sampling they're doing. Hmm. The kind of super sampling, and then it's it's it just does not look as crisp. The colors look even though it's a it's an OLED screen mm-hmm. as opposed to an LCD. The colors look a little bit more muted to me. Interesting through the link and the textures. In the look in the distance, I can definitely see compression. Hmm. In there, I did not see the compression. You might have better eyesight than I do. I still say. It is a great solution for people who don't have 100%. a desktop VR headset. My fear is that it'll be so, it's good enough, so much so that they're going to move away from a dedicated desktop VR headset completely. Yeah, especially if, if the next quest is lighter, yeah. you know, and, and has better visuals. And, and that's that's the problem because no matter what, the quest is still even regardless if it's going to be lighter, it's still going to have a battery. Yeah, and that compute on the front of the headset, and this is how HTC is making money. They're selling. They're selling deluxe audio headsets left and right for people to get more comfortable experiences on their Quest. It would be interesting if they released, in a like alongside a Quest Two, some sort of like terminal VR headset that was only Link. You mean like their new version of Go, or something with no compute? Like it's just it because it gets all well maybe some minor compute, but no, it doesn't need much. It would just need like bare minimum in order to support. Well, you Link. need inside-out tracking. That's true. You would need inside-out tracking. You, you need the tracking. That's true. That's why I think if they did like a, a Go version 2, that could be their terminal and yeah. just use hand control. Mm-hmm. Like touch, and, and you buy the touch controller accessory separately. Yeah. But I think the experience, again, it's it, it works. If you have the right video card, they need to expand this to, to more, to more uh, to, to wider uh, number of users. Uh, still very excited for that cable. That yeah, that cable's going to help. Cable. Yeah. Unfortunately, the charging cable that you got the long charging cable you got with uh, the Quest headset is not compatible. The official cable is going to be five meters and fiber optic. So five meters? Uh, three yeah. meters. I'm sorry, three meters, 15, yeah, feet. 15 feet. And it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be fiber optics, so very small and light. No, no, no. You're right. It's five meters. Three meters is 10 feet. The current Oh, then one, it is five yeah, meters. It's five meters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I get the numbers mixed up too. Yeah. Uh, out now. A uh, bunch of other stuff on Quest. Quake 2 on Quest. Quake 2 has been announced. So as I mentioned, you can play Half-Life on, on Quest. You can also play Quake, mm. the original Quake. I was in a Quake clan, so like that's cool to me. Like I loved... Quake was my game. I, I played you know, competitively. Right, but you're not using M-Look now. <laughs> um, Quake 2, I, I didn't get as into. But it's got a better single-player campaign. It brought you know, the real gun. Uh, it's coming from the same developer who brought Quest... Brought Half Life. Am, am I wrong? Yeah, it's same. I'm sorry. That, I was going to say Quake, but I think it is the same one. It brought Half Life, hmm. um, and it's coming next week. 
All right. Uh, a couple things also coming very soon. Uh, we got Esper One coming end of this week. They just announced that this morning. Yeah. Uh, that's this Friday. It had been postponed a little bit. We haven't played it yet. So All platforms. Looking forward to that. That will be desktop and VR. I don't know if there's cross-buy, though, if they have announced that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the Climb coming December 3rd. This was a, uh, They announced it when they first announced the Quest. This is a port of Crytek's climbing game, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun on the Quest, especially Tetherless. There's a lot of opportunity to do that. And also Vader Immortal... Uh, episode three should be out by the time you listen to this podcast. I actually got a chance to play through it, and I gotta say I'm a little disappointed. Well, were you disappointed by the first two? No, I I was I was impressed by the first one because a lot of good exposition and it was a good introduction to that world. I was disappointed by the second one because I felt it was real short, and they really like they had like two or three good scenic moments. The third one feels. It doesn't feel substantial enough. Mm. Well, it's been the shortest amount of time between the two. Yeah. The second one and this one. Yeah. I understand um, uh, Mike from Oculus has been posting to the Reddit thread saying that the dojo is the best. Yeah. So, so, so much of the replayability is in the training dojo. You using lightsabers and now having force powers. And of course, you know, they add a new thing every time. Uh, the single player, I feel like. I'm glad it was $9 or $10, and I think they're may even, I'm not sure if this is confirmed, but they're giving away uh, Vader Immortal for anyone who buys a quest between now and like... And a January. And a January. All three of them. All three of them. Yep. That's good. Uh, I feel like the whole, all three should be $20 together, and maybe there's a mm-hmm. sale. Yeah. But I don't feel like it's a $30 experience for all three together. No, I'd agree, but I can understand it must have cost that much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I was only able to play it on Quest. I played a, a second episode on Rift, and I stand by Rift being the much better experience for that. You played it on Rift S, right? Rift S, sorry, Rift S. Uh, there's also uh, the final expansion to I Expect You to Die. Yeah, so it's free, uh, free DLC for uh, anyone who has the game on Quest. Mm-hmm. And, or is it for uh, on Rift as well, mm-hmm. I think? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it looks cool. It's a space mission. Uh, and this is supposed to be the big finale. So it's, you know, it's the original escape room for VR and one of the just great franchises from the be- very beginning. This was developed for GamePad initially before Touch came out. They had evolved the gameplay to include Touch. They've done a great job. And it's just cool. To, like They didn't have to do this. This is an awesome looking new level. So give it a shot. Also on side quest is Climby. Dude, I wish Climby were released for real. And I hope that this does something towards that i don't know but it's i I love climby and maybe the reason they they haven't allowed it on the store is because the climb is coming and the climb is a more polished experience but climby is fantastic i love climbing climby is uh and my mom tried them both and she uh didn't like the climb she it was too realistic Mm. like she liked the fake universe of climby and it's, uh, you know, like I said, locomotion's everything to me. It's got this great locomotion system, which is all about climbing and uh, flinging yourself through space in order to grab levels. And uh, it's completely free demo. Uh, you, you know, traverse a couple levels and there's lava and it's challenging. Alrighty. Uh, so, I, yeah, I hope, I hope at some level the climbing gets on the actual store. If it's a sequel, if it's the finished app, which clearly runs well, great. Either way. Uh, also coming out by the end of this year is Shuttle Commander. What is that? It's a 
another aerospace game will you recreate Hubble telescope missions as a pilot on the a space shuttle. So much like Mission ISS. Wow. Um, uh, I hope it'll give people a good sense of how cramped the shuttle cockpits are because we've been inside like the shuttle trainer and it is super tight mm-hmm. in there. So perfect for VR. Um, it's a cockpit game, of course, a cockpit experience. And then uh, also by the end of this year, Vacation Simulator on Quest is coming on December 12th. Holiday. So a lot of titles coming out on VR. A lot of good times to uh, maybe buy a an Oculus Quest, especially if you're into PC and mobile gaming. My uh, nine-year-old daughter just wants to play Vacation Sim. She loves that game. There you go. And depending on when this Half-Life Alex game comes out, you know, people will probably also be able to play it on a Quest with Oculus Link. Yep. Mm-hmm. On CMVR. That does it for the episode this week. Um, I don't think we're going to have a new episode next week. Not sure yet. But it is going to be Thanksgiving weekend with Black Friday. Any, I will Black see plans? you out there. Things you're looking for? Uh, I think there's more stuff to avoid uh, than there are things. Don't don't go for doorbusters. They're always almost never worth it. And like enough with the air fryers. What's that thing about? We don't need them. Really? That's like I, I hear that all the time now. Air fryers are the, the new hotness. It's a new hot pot. It's the new yeah. It's the 2019 Instapot. I am not buying into the hype. Hmm. I'm going to maybe pick up a Rift S to replace my CV1. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking I was going to wait, first of all, for Link and see how I felt about playing long-form games with that. Given the wait with the Quest, I don't know. I think, I think I'd rather have a, a Rift S, and the Rift S is going on sale for uh, two, 50 bucks off. Oh, all right. All That's right. worth it. We got an outro this week? We do. I think we do. I don't know. It says a <gasps> week ago. What, data Conundrum? Did we play that last week? We may have. Uh, I think we, I think we, we did. did. So there is another one. Well, so, we have tweet two weeks for people to come up with new ones. All right, here we go. Let's play this one. This is from a different sound designer. Here it comes, people. Let's see here. Hi there. I didn't see you. That's it. Yes, I got a newborn infinite home. He can get pretty loud, and wearing something like Bluetooth active noise canceling headphones really takes the edge off on those tummy time crying days. Oh my God. So I'm gonna share that experience with you. I'm gonna play some baby crying and show you exactly what this can do. Let's go try it. Nope. Go from here. You can still hear it, but it really takes that as well. Really takes that as well. Really takes that as well. We'll be back with more fun testing next time. That That's was, not even from a podcast. That was too no. real. That was yeah. I got thank you for the the memories. I had already blocked that part of my life. That's by E O N O C. Yeah, I guess you could very well. No, no, there's no reason you can't make a podcast outro with audio clips from not our lives, from, apparently. <laughs> well, not, not from a podcast, <laughs> just from a tested yeah. video. Oh, Designer Con is this weekend. If you're down in Anaheim, please say hi. I'll be there uh, walking around on Saturday, shooting some videos. Um, and hope to see you there if you're in Southern California. One of my favorite conventions, maybe my favorite convention of the year. See ya. Bye.